Yes, folks, it's Thursday. It's 2 p.m. Pacific. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this has to be, at least I hope. Jerry, how are you? I'm wonderful, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm great. We want to welcome everybody to Pillars of Franchising. Um, we have a very exciting panel. Jerry and I have a little bit we're going to tell you about in just a second. But before we do, we want to encourage everybody. We have a panel of guests that you're going to knock your socks off. Um, so if you have questions, feel free to call in. Our um, call-in number is 323-580-5755. Jerry, you have a little word on the street for us today. I do. And it's, you know, I don't want to distract from our show because this is going to be one of the best shows we've ever had. We've got three amazing ladies that are going to, you know, talk to us about their journey. But I, I did want to get a couple things out as some word on the street. Number one, Hyatt came out with a, uh, a notification that they're going to be pushing to uh, include a lot more women of color in their leadership and ownership side. Uh, that just came out this week, hot off the presses, IFA uh, put it out uh, yesterday. And uh, I just cannot, I cannot tell you how excited I am that they're going to make that move. And so, uh, you know, this is a good time since this is a franchise show to talk about uh, franchise systems out there that are working to get more women of color, more people of color in, in leadership and ownership positions. So I wanted to get that out as soon as I could. So the show worked out really well. Second thing I want to say is if you're a franchisee out there, you need to put this on your calendar. Uh, September 19th through the 21st, the International Franchise Association has their annual fly-in to Washington, D.C. And if you want a chance to talk to your reps, your congresspeople, and your senators from your state about what's going on with your small business and small business, business overall, that's the time to do it. So go online, Google IFA fly-in, and register for it. You will not be sorry. It will be a life-changing experience. So I'll leave it at that, and let's get to our uh, our guests, shall we, Elizabeth? Let's do, and I will put that on our social media so that you can have a link. We'll link straight to the IFA registration form. Um, so if you can't remember where to go, get on our social media and find us. Um, so yes, Jerry, let's let's get to the show. We've got Shane Evans, Stephanie Coffey, and Anna Phillips. Um, she'll be interviewed. They will be interviewed by Ray Pillar and Andrea Mundy. And Andrea, why don't you take it away? Thank you. Um, I'm really excited about today because not only are all three of these women um, incredible franchisors and founders of their businesses, but they're also um, people that I consider friends. And I've um, been really fortunate to have experienced uh, their advice and leadership over the years, not just as friends, but through business. And um, when we talked about this topic and, and about uh, you know, having some experts on a panel that could provide some insight into what emerging brands need to think about when they start to franchise. I, I right away thought of all three of these women because, uh, you know, they've, they've all been in business a really long time. I think um, Stephanie with 
Franchise being the newest at almost 10 years and Anna and Shane, you know, getting up toward 20 years in business. And there's just so much experience and learning that comes from being in business for that long. Um, and today we're going to talk about, um, you know, many businesses and business owners and brands feel like they are ready to franchise and they think it's a really straightforward path to growth and that there's not a lot of consideration. It's just a, you know, I did it and someone else can do it and here we go. And in fact, that, that there's probably some, nothing further from the truth based on you know, my experience and, and the experience of others. And, and these three women are here to help uh, emerging brands better understand what they need to consider in order to be successful and not just for themselves, but more importantly, in some ways for their franchisees to be successful because no one is successful, we all know, unless the franchisees are successful. Um, I know that, you know, they will share real stories of mistakes made and successes as well. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing how those questions flow and answers go. Um, I'll start with Anna. Anna, you know, is the founder of The Lash Lounge with over, I believe, 115 locations. Uh, founded in 06, um, Anna's background is very diverse, having been in IT moved into becoming a massage therapist and then a lash technician and has really grown her business incredibly fast, um, in particular in the last few years. So I'll let her share a bit more about her story in a moment. Um, Stephanie Coffey is the founder and owner of uh, Frenchie's Nails with 23 locations in the last eight years. Um, no small feat, in particular, the last couple of years being so challenging for a relatively new franchisor. Um, she also has an interesting background as she was previously a franchisee and also worked in a couple of different roles as a franchisor. So um, I think she will share some of her experiences there. And Shane Evans with Massage Heights, founded in 2004, over 145 units in both Canada and the US. Um, she is the founder and vice chair of the board, uh, also owns several of the existing units. And I think she will have lots of advice to share in that capacity. And the similarity between all three is that, um, you know, in the health and wellness space. And I think that there's, um, you know, lots of crossover into other businesses, but I think they will have some, some similarities in the experiences they've had so far. So um, I think if it's all right, we're, we're gonna get started. Um, if maybe I'll, we'll start, Ray, would you like to take the first question and, and whomever you ask, if there's anything you wanna add to your introduction about yourself, please do so. So I, I think it's really exciting to have all three franchisors here uh, in, the, in the health and wellness uh, space. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very exciting. So I, I, I think probably, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start off with uh, Shane, if you don't mind. And, and one of the things in reading your bio is that your uh, family is highly involved in the franchise. Is that correct or? Uh, has been, yes. Has there's, been? there's been quite a few changes over the years, but yes. Yeah, and, and I was just wondering, I, in, in my franchise, I, I have my family involved, and I was wondering, how is that working out? I mean, um, <laughs> has there been any conflicts, or is everybody getting along just great? Everyone's always curious about this one. So I co-founded the company with my husband, 
um, and eventually brought in my brother as a partner as well in the franchise company. Um, and then uh, I did have my mom. She led our family fund, um, our Heights Family Fund, which is a nonprofit organization that supports um, team members of our franchisees in crisis. Uh, and then another brother who headed up development. Over the years, there's been a lot of transition. Um, uh, about 15 months ago, I stepped away from the day-to-day -day operations, and we hired an amazing CEO, Susan Borso, who's got about 35 years in franchising in all different spaces, and she's incredible. Um, and so the family, over time, even before I stepped away, sort of had transitioned into different roles. My mom being the last one, as she just stepped away and our franchisees are really taking uh, charge of our nonprofit now at this point. So um, it's been good. It's been awesome to have people right by your side that you know that you can trust, um, that love you, and um, quite honestly, that will work in ways that most people would not work for you. So, you know, long hours and not a whole lot of pay in the beginning when you can't afford it and all those things. So I've been very blessed to have had those experiences and, and learned from, from each of them. Fantastic. Go ahead, Andrea. Yeah. So, Anna, I have a question that I'm going to direct at you. Um, you know, so much of an emerging brand, you know, one of the challenges is having attracting potential franchisees because you don't have a lot of maybe operating history or you don't have a lot of franchisees that can provide validation yet. And really, they're 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 participating in their system because they believe in you and they are energized by what you've created early on. And there's obviously a very entrepreneurial aspect to those early franchisees. Um, and I'm wondering how they were valuable to you early on and how that relationship has evolved and over the you know, years that you've been in business now with 115 locations. Mm -hmm. Great question. So I, I think that this is also depends upon the industry that you're in. Um, for me, I was the first of our kind as an eyelash salon entering the eyelash, or I'm sorry, entering the franchising industry. So there wasn't a lot of even um, industry recognition where it would be like in a, a restaurant or a fitness type of base. So, so just getting the information out there for people to be interested in buying an eyelash salon, we started off finding a lot of our guests, those were probably the first five to 10 um, franchisees. And if I'm being completely honest, they're no longer in the system. They've worked themselves out um, because they ultimately, you know, they love the concept. They like coming. They wanted to have uh, what ended up being for a lot of them, most of them kind of a side hobby because they wanted to keep their lashes on. Um, and we all know that business is much harder than just coming in getting the service done or being really uh, you know, loving the, the concept. So um, as I continue to grow and even make changes. So in the very beginning, I think too, um, there was not as many processes in place. We had processes, but not what you would use for a, a, a large growing franchise. And so they all felt like they should have a voice in what, what processes, what changes, everything from whether we added memberships or didn't add memberships, you know, they all, it was, it, it was like a community voice. They all wanted to share their input. Um, and that made it really difficult to grow. And, um, and so ultimately they have sort of worked themselves out. And over the years, we've even found 
Um, we thought that we were looking for absentee owners for a little while who had business minds, but absentee owners. And we've even learned that now we really do need um, owners that are at least in the salon or coming into the salon or involved in, in some way. So it has been um, a learning curve. Uh, I mean, and it's, I think we're still trying to find that ideal franchise um, person uh, that we could clone, right? But I don't know. So would you say then, and, and maybe Shane can respond to this, but would you say that person has evolved and changed? Is it more of a fluid situation than, you know, a static one? Uh, you know, we've gone through sort of the same um, challenges, same sort of thing. You know, initially it was members and guests and family members that wanted to become franchisees and, um, you know, saying they wanted to, they loved their their weekly massages or biweekly massages and so on and so forth. I, you know, look, I think it has to be somebody in our brand. We are, we are, we are such a feel good brand. It's a, it's a passion brand. Um, and uh, I think you really do have to be passionate for helping people. Um, I do believe that it is, and I, and I know because we have multi-unit operators that have been able to prove that they don't actually have to be in the business working it for it to be successful, but you really do need to have the right tools in place, including, you know, knowing who you need to put in charge and letting right. that person take charge, making sure you've got a good comp package put together and an incentive for them to want to be there and own that business like they own that business. And so, um, yes, it's, it's, definitely changed. Um, but, you know, again, the, the passion part of it is really important. And as long as you know what the metrics are and you're on top of them and you're, you can do it from anywhere. If you've got someone who's accountable to, mm -hmm. to getting it done and you know, you know, what the performance is like, just not just from a, you know, level, you know, store sales or gross sales, but also, you know, what are the customers saying? How are we doing from a customer service perspective? Are we on top of our staffing issues? Um, which, you know, our franchise business consultants help stay on top of those key performance metrics. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's changed a similar story. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, you know, Stephanie's nodding her head and she really is an emerging brand by definition in our in our industry, having um, you know, 23 locations is, is still a lot of locations for most businesses, mm -hmm. but in our industry, under 100 units is considered emerging. So um, sure. I'm curious so the, the type of franchisee that you're attracting because you really are finding, I'm sure people that are, are, are more entrepreneurial in some ways, but I'll let you um, handle that and share your insight. Yeah, it's, thanks, Andrea. I'm so excited to be here. And again, thank you for inviting me. Um, very, very similar, even though we're more of an emerging brand, um, but very similar to what Anna and Shane have expressed. You know, so initially, we really focused on people that were passionate about Frenchies. Yes, they were family members. Yes, they were guests that loved to come into Frenchies. Then, you know, we were, you know, as we were growing, we liked people that were interested in Frenchies, that liked the beauty, that had a business sense. What we really, really have found in the past few years is the people need to also have grit. They mm. have to have grit. They have to be resourceful and they have to be courageous, especially through COVID, very courageous and very resourceful. And the other thing, and I think you had mentioned this, like they have to be engaged. They have to be engaged with their business. They have to be engaged with their team. They have to be engaged with their customers and their guests to be successful. 
we have found also that if somebody is, it's not semi-absentee, it's not absentee with us at all. You have to be engaged. Mm -hmm. So I agree. But the grit, and how do you measure grit? I love that. Yeah, yes. it's hard. Absolutely. I'd like to go back, I think it was Stephanie, who, uh, who said that, oh, what was it? Something about, I can't find it here. Um, I think that uh, culture was a, a fluff thing, but it is not. It's everything, says uh, Shane Evans. Is that right? <laughs> it really is. It really is. And, you know, if you understand that, I think a lot of people think culture is, is you know, just fun and, and all those things. But um, or, or uh, you know, a lot of people treat it as the words on the wall. You know, this is, you know, what our values are and our mission purpose and all those things. But you really do have to live it and breathe it. And I think, you know, as you are growing as a franchise system and you really as a, as a company and you, you get honed in on what those are and what they mean. Um, having people align with those is super important. And so we, quite a few years ago, we really um, changed our development process and made sure that when candidates came to San Antonio for their observation day or discovery day, um, that there was alignment and core values. Um, you know, this is a small business. You're investing a lot of money, a lot of time, your future, um, and, you know, and, and, anything can happen and we have personal challenges and those seep into our business challenges and vice versa. And we just want to make sure that we know how we're going to work with one another when those challenges come up, because it's inevitable that they're going to come up. Um, so culture is incredibly important and it starts, I believe, in the franchise recruitment and development process. And then it continues through. And I will tell you that uh, Susan Borso is the most amazing um, CEO and, and she is, she lives and breathes our culture, like, like she owns the company. And, uh, I, you know, I just, it is, it's critical. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because all three of you have talked about, um, culture inadvertently throughout the conversation so far. And I know that we're, we're still relatively fresh in the interview. Um, but you also talk about being involved in the franchise. And I, I, you know, it's interesting post COVID because my recollection of a lot of franchisors, um, you know, pre COVID was that there was a lot of conversation about brands talking about being a semi absentee model. And so I'm wondering if now that um, you're, you're a bit of a bigger brand and maybe you're attracting more franchisees, what's changed? Is it related to COVID or, or do you think that um, you've always felt that your model was truly not fully semi absentee? And any of you can take that. I think you all have something to add. Please hold and you will be able to listen to the That was not me. <laughs> You know, during um, <laughs> you know during the discovery phase with our potential franchise owners, we've always always articulated that it is a semi absentee model, mm -hmm. but that those first six to twelve months, you are engaged, you are fully engaged. Mm -hmm. It's like a 
full-time job because you're getting your studio up and running. You're getting your team up and running. You're setting the pace. You're setting the tone, everything in your studio. And then what we have articulated that once you get to that monthly break even, then you start working. So you're working in your business. But then once you get to monthly break even, you start working on your business. But that doesn't mean you're not away from your business. You're, you're still working on it on a daily, weekly basis. You just might not be in it 40, 50 hours a week. Okay, got it. I'm gonna um, just pause for a minute because I, I wanna hear from Anna and Shane. Um, we're just gonna take a minute and uh, we've got a brief commercial break. Hey, franchise owners. How's your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new move-ins to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. All right, so Anna and Shane, um, curious on your thoughts on semi-absentee and if something has changed uh, in the last couple of years around the communication of that. I, I will share one of the things that I've noticed or, or my experience really. I've always felt because I started this business as an owner um, and I knew what it took to be in there and to keep it running. I always have felt that there needed to be, just like Stephanie said, someone needed to be engaged more so even in the beginning. There could be definitely a point that they could back away once they knew what was going on and they could hire the right person. Here's the thing that I ran into that I think a lot of emerging brands do too. You get to, as a franchisor, you get to a point where you are kind of slowly growing and you're selling franchises and you're looking around for how do I, who do I hire to sell more franchises? Um, and there's a lot of groups out there. So one of the things that we did, which is why we exploded very, very quickly. So there's a lot of good and bad, but we brought in a, a broker group that helped us um, package it up and sell franchises. And they were amazing. But when they came in, they said, listen, it's going to be much easier to sell these if we can pitch them as absentee businesses. We're going to sell them like hotcakes. So under the, um, I would say the allurement of wanting to kind of take that next step and start selling more franchises, we were persuaded into being okay with selling it and pitching it as an absentee model. And sure enough, we sold close to 400 units in about a year and a half. Um, but a lot of those, that's when we learned that the ones that were coming in as and truly wanted to be absentee um, were not really the right fit. So that's when we took the reins back and have, and have had to make the pivot. So we've learned the hard way. Um, and I think, you know, always my gut 
my gut knew that we needed to have an app, uh, 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 an owner who was willing to be on board. Now, the downside to that is that it's going to be a slower grow. It's going to be from a franchise perspective. You're not going to sell them as fast um, because people are always looking for investments that they can they can make, get it up and open the doors and it kind of runs itself. And the truth of the matter is there's very few franchises out there that really can operate like that. I, in my opinion. That, that's very true. And, and, I, and one of the things that people fail to realize that everything, including culture, starts from the top. And it, it, it does filter down. It never starts from the bottom and works its way up. 100% mm -hmm. I agree. And I think um, when I think about that, I know in the beginning, I know both Shane and Stephanie, I know your guys' stories and Andrea too, we're, we were all the one-man band, right? We all started this. We were the founders. And so we're running ragged. And sometimes culture is hard to uh, read when we're, um, when we look, you know, we're running on one hour of sleep every night. Um, and so really, like, if, if I could have told myself then what I know now, I wish I was more capitalized in the beginning. I had either more experience. I know Stephanie has come uh, into hers with uh, you know, lots of experience in franchising before. I did not. I learned as I was building the rocket ship and flying it into space. Um, and so as I've been able to hire more um, staff and I'm not spread so thin, the culture has improved. I mean, it's just, you know, that's how it goes, I think. Yeah, you that's helpful. Thank you. Uh, Shane? Uh, so we have had, um, but we've had it both ways, started out as um, absentee or semi-absentee or absentee and then switched to semi-absentee. Um, look, our with our model, we are not one, we're not, no one is coming from massage therapy for the most part. Um, they are coming from, you know, marketing backgrounds, real estate backgrounds, uh, we're looking for sales minded, sales oriented, uh, people that are super driven. We have had in our franchise agreement almost since day one with a little variation at some period of time that if you were not the person that was operating the business, the director that you had to have someone that was, and that person had to go through our initial training. They had to go through all the certifications. Um, if that person turned over, they'd, you'd have to send somebody else. Um, and I think, again, if you treat that the way it's meant to be treated, and there are the correct incentives in place for that person, and they're given the tools that they need, and they're given the control that they need and the accountability that they need from the franchisee, that that can work very, very well. And that's how you scale a business, right? That's how you're able to become a multi-unit operator. If you're the one-man band as a franchisee, you're not going to be able to do that. So it, it, you, it, it's been both ways. But I think that in order to have, a, you know, that scenario where a franchisee is in a position to become a multi-unit operator, the franchisor really does have to hold them accountable to what that franchise agreement says, and it says it's for a reason. And that is that you, if you are not that person that's in there 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you will have someone and we will make sure that they're certified to operate that business. And the accountability in that is tough. I will tell you as a franchisor, because 
you know, we don't all run our businesses the same way. And sometimes we make mistakes and hire the wrong people. And our franchisees then really realize at some point that was the wrong person. And now I got to hire somebody else and send them back to headquarters. What, you know, that's, but it is, but it is what it is. And there's a reason for it. Uh, it's a half a million dollar investment. You know, I, you don't want to just throw that away. So we're not going to give the keys to anyone. Absolutely not. There has got to be parameters in place and we we've got to be mutually accountable to, to holding our, our franchisees, uh, you know, to that and, 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 and them to us and in, in doing so as well. Awesome. Thank Thanks for the diversity of answers, but some similar themes. Um, Ray, do you want to take the next question? I have like a million. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think uh, probably want to take it from here and to our general audience, to uh, a lot of people who are thinking about uh, getting involved in a franchise. And uh, one of the things that we offer here at uh, Pillars is, is, is basically help people out there. Uh, we have mentors who have many, many years of franchising uh, uh, experience. And a lot of people have a lot of questions to ask about that. And we are here to answer those questions. And that's why we have shows like today. We have these three wonderful franchisors out there. And, and, and they, of course, can offer questions, uh, I mean, offer answers as well. As, you know, and you can call them directly if you're interested in any of their things, which brings to the, the point. At this point, we want to remind everyone that everyone that's on the show will have uh, uh, their information on the pillars of, of uh, franchising um, webpage. So if they need any information, they can go from there. So Andrea, since you have a thousand questions, <laughs> uh, I'm going to uh, let you go ahead and go from there. Well, one of the things that I, I'm, I've noticed because I do some mentoring now and, and work with brands that want to franchise and the common theme that I have learned is that they, they all think that they're ready to franchise. Um, and so I, I'd like you to help those that are listening understand from your point of view, what, what do you actually need to have as absolute deal breakers, you have to have this in place before you should even consider franchising. What are the you know, top three really um, important critical factors that, that need to be there? Um, and that's, that's a and good share question. that with, yeah. with our audience, because I think that there's just a, a big misconception in franchising that it's a lot easier than it is. And, and we all know um, that it, it isn't not to be successful. So. Um, let's start with, um, how about we start with you, Anna, if you're ready. Oh, sure. I think, um, I would say number one, it has to be a proven concept and, and it has to be multiply, uh, I can't even speak. They need scalable. to have, scalable. Need to have <laughs> scalable, not just scalable, but they, they have to have more than one location, right? It can't just be like a one, cause that could be a fluke. Right. Um, and I have seen so many um, emerging brands that, that have opened up a really cool cupcake or a cookie shop or something that just, it, it does really well in the little town that they're in, but it's just not something that would, you know, that everybody wants. And so um, I think when you open up, you know, three or more of them and they're proven over and over and over and they're scalable. And as you're opening them too, you're able to kind of see what you need to tweak and, um, 
and, and change up too. That's the other thing. So um, the other piece, I would say there's two more. Um, it's help. So getting all of your processes in place, if you do not have personal experience in franchising and you're, you think that's the route you want to go, then I highly would recommend finding a group like uh, Pillars of Franchising or someone else to help you come in and look at what kind of processes, what things do I need to have in place before we get going, is trying to build those after you've already sold the franchise is uh, really, it, it's going to send you to the loony bin. Um, and then the last thing I would say is truly being fully capitalized. And that doesn't mean, oh, I've got successful, for me, I'm going to use my experience. I have three salons that I opened up. They were all successful, proven concepts. I was using um, revenue from those salons to basically capitalize the franchise. And that was, an, I, if I could do that over again, I would have gone in for a loan or had a better idea of what I needed. Uh, because it, what it did was it stressed everything out. Um, and so those are the, the three main things. Proven concept, um, getting help, putting all your processes in place by someone who's steeped in franchising, and then being well capitalized. That's great. Thank you. Um, you Stephanie, you might have something to add because you've, you've come at this from a few different angles, working mm -hmm. um, you know, for a franchisor, being a franchisee, and now um, being a franchisor, and then also you're, you're an owner operator, I believe you have some of your own units. So what would you say in addition to what Anna said um, that, you know, must be in place before you should consider starting franchise? Yes, yes, yes. I completely agree with proof of concept with double digit EBITDA falling to the bottom line, um, having a business plan capitalized, right? Having the funding so that you can build out your business plan. But also you have to have that support structure in place. We categorize everything into three buckets. Those three buckets are people, operations, and marketing. And you have to have a support team, an experienced franchising support team to support those buckets for your franchise owners. Also, you have to have a good legal beagle on your team. <laughs> you need a solid CFO, fractional in the beginning, right? And we were really fortunate because of my background. When we launched our franchise system, we had vendor partner agreements already in place for everything, for our supplies, for our real estate, for our millwork, for marketing, for everything. So we had a, we had a solid partnership in place, vendor partners for our franchise owners. Yeah, that's excellent advice. I, I really agree with that. Shane, do you have something to add to that? Yeah, I agree with all those things. Uh, absolutely. Every single one of those things is important. I would also just add, um, you know, know who you're looking for in a franchisee. What are you looking for? And I know you may not know right off the bat because you don't have any, but in, in your currently operating locations, you know, what are the people like that are running those? What are their backgrounds? What are their personalities like? You know, and let's try to em, emulate that as well. Obviously, they need to be well capitalized, uh, just as you do. Um, but I would say also a strategic growth plan. So who are we looking for in a franchisee? And what is our strategic growth plan? The one of the mistakes that we made um, early on was, you know, oh, yes, OK, we'll accept a franchisee over there. Um, and and it was not strategic. And that costs you a lot. And, it, you know, you don't you don't grow well that way. Right. So it costs a lot to support 
um, and, and you don't get, you know, gain market share quickly and all of that. So I just say, who are you looking for in a franchisee? Know that and uh, obviously have a plan to market to them and then um, a, a good strategic growth strategy um, and, and to where you're going and why you're going there. Thank you. Um, that, that's been really helpful. I agree with, with all of you. And we are going to take another break. But before we do that, I just want to give you uh, an idea of what I'm going to talk about or what we're going to talk about when we come back. Um, I, I think that it would be wonderful for you all to share what your most successful moments have been, especially early on. I know it's easy to talk about you know, the things you would do differently. Um, because it's so obvious after the fact, but there are a lot of things that all of you did incredibly well. There's no way you would be where you are if you didn't. So love to hear your success stories. And then, you know, if there was one thing that you did have to learn the hard way, and I know I am you know, really open about my experience of things I had to learn the hard way, and it was very humbling in some ways, um, that, that's also a, a great message for our audience to hear. So we'll take a break now, and then we'll come back and hear from you guys. As usual, thank you for joining Pillars of Franchising. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach Atlantic University. You can find them on the college's website. Also, Franchise Show 247, which can be found at franchiseshow247.com. And um, we couldn't do without our sponsors, and we appreciate their support. Don't forget, we love to have call-in guests. Our number to call in is 323-580-5755. That is 323-580-5755. If you have questions for our guests or for any of our Million Dollar Mentors, we welcome you to call in at any time on the show. We will do our very best to answer your calls. Stay tuned, more coming up. All right, uh, thank you. So the question that we're gonna come back with is we wanna hear your what are you proud of? What are your success stories? You've all done incredibly well in this industry within your own brands and beyond. Um, so whomever feels ready to jump in, let's, um, let's hear your most proud moments. I'll, I'll start. I don't mind. This is super high level, but you know, there's, gosh, it's so hard to recognize the sex, sex successes, isn't it? Like you always think, oh gosh, I could have done that better. Like you said, but um, I would just say, I think that what we did well all along is it's not tactical at all. It's just common sense is we treated our franchisees well. We didn't always know what we were doing. We didn't always have the answers right away, but we treated everybody fairly, have always treated everybody fairly. Sometimes that probably gets you in a little trouble in some ways, um, in, in some ways, right? But maybe you take a little longer to, to get to a place, I guess is what I'm saying, but we've just taken care of people and have really thought that that was important. And, you know, again, you, you go through challenges, but ultimately how you handle them is, is most important. Um, and just, I mean, our, our business model is, is incredibly incredible. I mean, we've made it through 08, 09, we made it through 2020, um, stronger than ever. And we just have an incredible membership-based business model that has franchisees feeling really good about their investment and reinvesting. And, um, so those are, you know, those are just sort of, again, they're not anything one like specific thing I'm, that I'm so, so proud of, but good, good business model, take care of people. And I, I will have to share that I do have some experience with some of Shane's franchisees, um, having done a project with her company in the past and 
you know, been lucky enough to talk with some of them and I echo that. I mean, absolutely really observe just the care and, and respect that, you know, Massage Heights has for the franchisees. And, and that's absolutely true. Um, thanks, Shane. Whomever wants to go next is welcome to. Go ahead, Steph. All right. So, you know, with my experience with self-esteem brands for eight years, running other brands, franchising brands, I, I made a lot of mistakes. We made a lot of mistakes and I learned from them. And one of the big ones from self-esteem and waxing the city is we never required a mandated bookkeeping company. So when we launched Frenchies, we were like, we have a mandated bookkeeping company and our, and they pushed back. Let me tell you, but I'm so happy. I'm mm. so happy. I stuck to my guns because I can jump into their PL and we can coach them on little things, you know, whether it's their top line revenue, whether it's their wages are off here or there, whether if their supplies are too high. But before, when I used to coach or have conversations with franchisees, it was very difficult because I didn't have their PLs. So that has helped us out tremendously, along with the franchisees, helping them out and guiding them in a much, much smarter way. And we're seeing franchise owners that, that I never thought would hit the revenue numbers and the profitability numbers that I see today. And that's because we can coach them and help them get there. Also, we had really, really defined KPIs, key performance indicators from day number one, day number one. So we weren't making them up. We weren't create them, creating them as we grew. So that was extremely, extremely helpful. But again, it's because of my background with the other franchise brands that I had ran, ran in the past. So I feel very fortunate, very, very fortunate. And, you know, with COVID going on, you're like, Oh my word, what are we doing? Like we touch people all day long, right? In all of our studios, that's what you, we touch people, right? But just like Shane said and Anna, we are stronger than before the pandemic. And we're seeing much, much better financials. Mm -hmm. There you yep. go, thank you. Agreed. I'm pouring it over to Anna now. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think that we've we've come back from the pandemic also um, much stronger, um, and we've learned a lot too. I would say that uh, just like Shane said, it's hard to look back and and think about what we did right. Um, but to a couple points that have been brought up, um, strategic growth, like Shane mentioned earlier. I live in Texas. When we first started selling franchises, I it was just a gut instinct to sell in just Texas at first. Um, and I always felt like because I didn't have the team, um, for lack of having all of those resources, I wanted to be able to be uh, close enough that if I needed to drive there and put myself in your salon and help you work there um, to help you, I, then that's what we needed to offer in the beginning. So strategic growth was um, selling locally. Um, we were able to also raise brand awareness a little bit more before we started going, you know, outside of Texas. Um, uh, so I think that we did that well. The other thing is the taking care of people. I agree. I think that um, innately, one of the things from a culture perspective that I am very proud of, as we have grown and we've gone through, you know, growing pains and everything else, one thing that I 
knew when I started selling franchises was I'm in this to help people start their own business. And they're just in there. And I'm lucky enough that they're picking my, my concept to want to start. So I'm, I want to make sure that no matter how big we become, we offer them all the coaching, the support, the tools, the resources, everything that they possibly need to be successful. Um, which I, I don't think is the norm across all franchises. So that's something I'm very, very proud of that we do. And, and it is, um, to the point where we fostered a culture where our franchisees help each other out almost more so than, yeah. uh, because, you know, they can share advice and other franchisees will take it. Even if we've been saying it, you know, 10 times over from the corporate office or the franchisors. So I'm very proud of that too. I, I love that. That last part you said, I mean, that's what I loved about being a franchisor as well. Like you're creating an opportunity for people to become entrepreneurs like that. That's mm -hmm. it's so fantastic to be able to do that and then to continue that that mentorship relationship along the way. And, and um, I have also met some of your franchisees and, you know, been really impressed with that relationship and the time that you took as a founder to, you know, be in their space and um you know, coach them about, you know, big issues and then small issues too. So um, yeah, that's, that's great advice. I, I really like that. Um, Ray. So I, I think we have a lot of entrepreneurs in our, in our audience who, who are business owners and they're thinking, wow, I had this fantastic concept. When, when should they start thinking about franchising that concept? And is that, that's, they're thinking, hey, this is really great. We're, you know, where do you, when and where and how do you make that decision to franchise? So that goes out to everyone. So whoever's got, whoever has a, an answer to that right off the top of their head. I, I think what Anna said earlier is, you know, ideally you'd have multiple locations, a proven concept, right? At least a couple locations. Um, really, ideally, you'd have at least a couple locations in multiple cities and just, you know, have a better idea as to how they're going to perform um, without you, the, the owner uh, in it, running it. Um, how, how well can it scale to somebody else operating it? Um, I think that that's, that's one of the questions, you know, I, um, also, you know, what is the level of interest of the people that are coming in? Do you have members and guests and, you know, uh, customers that are coming in saying, oh my gosh, I love this brand. Are you guys going to build one out here? I live over there and I, I want to get, could I get involved? Can I make an investment? You know, I think you, you kind of know if you've got something really cool based on behaviors and what people are asking for. Um, and I think that's definitely a, a start, but you know, hiring a company that's going to help you do a market analysis, help you kind of get a really good idea as to where the opportunities are, um, doing it smartly, understanding, you know, doing all the work to understand what it's going to take to transition from being a retail operator, which is what you are as a founder, generally speaking, um, to a franchisor, completely different. It is very, very different. So how am I going to scale from being a retail operator into becoming someone that supports other small business owners uh, in, in their entrepreneur in per, entrepreneurial endeavor? Um, and so I think those are, 
you know, those are all really important things. Um, ideally, you'd like to have a couple years of financial performance history. You'd like to make sure that you've made it through some challenging times. You'd like to be able to, you know, to, to know if I increased prices here, if I did that, what was the effect on the customer base or the retention? Or, you know, I think having experience um, over time, I think that there are often a lot of companies that uh, get swooped up um, and, and, and inspired to start franchising when they really don't know a whole lot about uh, their business in the first place and how well it's going to perform um, over a period of time. And, and then you go out and you ask somebody to go and spend their hard-earned money and what they've got uh, ready for retirement and kids' educations and all, all those other things. Um, and you don't, you can't, you can't really, you know, say that it's necessarily a proven concept. So um, I guess that's a risk that people take, right? But those are the, those are the things that I'd be um, considering. Mm -hmm. I, and I don't want to jump in front of you, Stephanie, but I think everything Shane said, and then the other piece that I think is important is to look at the industry and how saturated is it? Um, do you have another fitness concept that, I mean, there's a lot of fitness concepts out there and how different is yours, you know? Um, those are the things that I think need to be kept in mind because sometimes, sometimes you, you're going to end up making a lot more money, just owning your own three or however you do, and then sell them down the road rather than turning them into a franchise. Cause that, that doesn't always work out for everyone. Mm -hmm. And franchising is not easy. It's pretty complicated, right? So you need to learn as much as you can about the franchising industry. Join IFA, learn as much as you can, jump on podcasts like this, read, absorb, listen, ask questions. Because it's not for the faint of heart at all. It's a lot of hard work. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love changing people's lives. I love providing them an opportunity to own their own business in their communities where they can give back. But it is, it is, there is a lot of work that goes, that that's involved with growing a brand without a doubt. Thank you. We have um, an interesting audience question and, and this will be a tricky one to answer because I would say that this really depends on the concept and timing. Certain, certain concepts are trends that can be leveraged very quickly or their response to perhaps COVID as one example. We saw lots of brands that were very relevant during that period. But the question is twofold. Um, how long does it take to be considered a proven concept? And then um, the second part of it is, is how much capital is required to start franchising? Good, good questions. Um, Hey, Stephanie, I would love for you to take that one first with your, your experience with SE brands. And I think that would be incredible. Yes. So the first part, of how, how do you know when to start franchising? Is that the first part? No, it's, it's how would you, uh, the question was, how long does it take to be considered a proven concept? And then the second part is how much capital is required to start franchising? And there, I don't know that there's a, a specific yeah. answer, but I think speaking from your own experience might help guide the answer a yes. little bit here, at least yes. from my context, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so, oh, that two-part question. So it's hard, I'm gonna start with the second part of that question, like how, how much money you, you are going, oh, it, it's a lot. 
It's a little, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, we bootstrapped. I'll, I'll tell you my little story. So we sold, we, we were multi, we are still multi-unit owners for Anytime Fitness. And we joined the Anytime Fitness brand when they were an emerging brand. We were one of their first hundred franchisees. So I grew up in that, right? So I've been on that journey with them for 15 years and I've loved it and learned a lot through their explosive growth. But when we wanted to start Frenchies, I was like, I've been doing so much research on the waxing industry and they kept piling in waxing and nails together. And they're a $14 billion industry. But the majority of that 14 billion is nails. But there were huge companies out there like waxing, well, waxing was small at the time, but European Wax Center. So we knew that waxing was ready to be franchised, right? And so we brought it to market. It took, it took a while because we had to revamp everything. We revamped the look and the feel and the marketing and the pricing and the compensation plans and everything. Now, probably with, with that brand, several million dollars to get it up and running and launched and launched. Now with Frenchies, what we did is we sold one of our Anytime Fitnesses because I was like, I'm not gonna go to a bank to get funding because nobody's gonna fund me for a nail salon because there's a nail salon at every single corner, right? Every corner there's a nail salon, but it's a bad nail salon. Every single corner. <laughs> so, so, I, so we sold and took all the cash, all the cash and opened up the first proof of concept, right? And we knew like that first shame, just like what you're saying, people were walking in saying, where have you been? I've been looking for a place like this. Where's the next one? Where's the next one? Then your friends and family start, start opening it, right? So the first funding bootstrap, several hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Then we went to Apple Pie Capital. We leveraged our any times. And we probably with that got another, I mean, I'm gonna be, I'm very transparent right now. That was probably another 600,000. And so that took us from 2016 to now. And then we got another round of funding for another half a million. But it all depends how fast you want to grow, how you scale. If you outsource your, your um, territory sales, you, you only keep a fraction of it, right? Yeah. But if yeah. you do your own, you can use that as part of your funding source. Mm -hmm. But you definitely want to work with somebody with somebody that's experienced in franchising to build out your business plan with a pro forma so you know how much money you need to launch your franchise. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I, that, that that, I really appreciate the, the transparency and I think everyone that's listening does too. Um, Anna and Shane, if, if you have anything different to add, I'll, I'll let you add that, but we are almost out of time and I just wanted each of you to um, quickly let everyone know how they can um, get a hold of someone if they're interested in your franchise and also a quick range of costs to open a Frenchies, a Lash Lounge, and a Massage Heights so that our audience can um, reach out if there's interest in, in your franchises as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would just add really quick and then I'll answer all of those last things. Um, for complete transparency, because I wish I knew this when I was starting, um, I, I heard along the way, of course, I'm already waist deep in franchising, so there's really no turning back, is that you really, most franchisors do not start making a profit until they, after about 100, give or take, right, about 100 units open. That was true for us. Um, so I've been franchising for 12 years now, and just 
last year, if we're being completely honest, is when we finally saw a dollar, a dollar. And so we've had, you know, we've sold over 400, but about 120 some odd are actually open. That's a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of money invested to get there. So if that, you know, if that is a deterrent or if that sounds daunting, then I would say don't franchise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Because that could be very much real reality for people. So for me on the final questions, you can just go to thelashlounge.com and we've got a franchising link at the top um, and just all the information you need. Our investment is anywhere from about 200 to 350,000, depending upon um, area, size of space, all of that. Um, and that's it. Wow, fantastic information, ladies. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really, really, really appreciate it. Um, before we wrap up to a quick commercial and then a summary, um, Shane, what about joining, uh, if we wanted to start a Massage Heights, how would we do that? Who oh. do we call? How yes, much? you can, You can, it's about 450 to 550,000. Um, and uh, that's obviously everything, your working capital. Um, have a good uh, a good heart for sales uh, and customer service. Uh, we're all about membership sales, and that's what gets us to that break break even quick. So we don't need more money. Um, so uh, that's what we're looking for. But go to massagetightsfranchise.com, and uh, we've got some great people that uh, would love to to talk on the other end. So thank you. And lastly, Stephanie, it seems like we've kind of covered the basis here in terms of. Uh, the cost to open. So um, I think you're a little less than Anna, but but correct me if I'm wrong. How do we start a franchise? Yes, um, our range is actually 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 anywhere between two hundred forty-seven thousand up to four hundred eighty. That's the okay. range, the low and the high. And if anybody's interested interested, they can go to franchisemails.com and we'd be happy to have a discussion with them. Great. Well, thank you all so so much. Um, this has been incredible to have all of you here. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial and then um, hear from a couple of people from Pillars of Franchising to let everyone know what they think about what we heard today. Thanks. I am Elizabeth Denham, the Chief Content Officer for Pillars of Franchising. And I'm telling you that um, because I am always looking for people with a great story in the franchising space. If you have a great story that you would like to share either in the magazine or on the show, you can fill out our contact form on pillarsoffranchising.com. Also, while you're there, be sure to subscribe to the magazine. Um, you can choose all of the services that you might be interested in if you're looking to buy a franchise, sell a franchise, become a franchise, if you need mentorship, and if you need to get the word out about your business, we have a lot of a variety of sponsorships for you. So be sure to visit our website, like, subscribe, and share this show. And we appreciate every comment and every engagement that you offer. Um, so be sure to visit our website at pillarsoffranchising.com. Elizabeth. I was not opening my mouth until I am <laughs> not going to get to call me on that. <laughs> Long pause. <laughs> was that not the most that, yeah, I was just going to say, what, what are your big takeaways? I think that was an outstanding show. I personally love a, a panel of strong women in franchising. So it was very exciting for me to watch that. But as, as, a, as Jerry Akers, our million dollar mentor, what were your takeaways? You know, I have a whole page of them. We don't have time to go over them. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about our process to coach potential franchisees on, 
uh, choosing between an emerging brand and an experience, you know, a longer term brand, a more mature brand and those kinds of things. And these ladies did a great job of structuring a conversation around their journey. Uh, you know, some things that I, I took from that, uh, the franchisor's personality is a big part of early franchisor growth because franchisees many times are dealing directly with it. You know, we've talked a lot recently, Elizabeth, about you know, when you're trying to make a decision about which franchise to buy, maybe an emerging brand is the right choice for you because you want to be more uh, an innovator on the early uh, start of that, the beginning of it, you know, and working hand in hand with the people that actually founded it and, uh, and maybe even uh, helping build it and grow it beyond that. So you can kind of put your personal spin in there and, and uh, some of the things you help them develop would be something that future franchisees would use. And of course, you know, the culture, culture, culture thing I thought was uh, fantastic. And they all hit on that. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at any business, whether you're a franchisee trying to buy uh, or trying to build a very large organization or a franchise or trying to um, trying to get to the point where you're making money, as several of them talked about, um, you know, building the right culture. And making sure that your franchisees are engaged in that, not just engaged in the business, but engaged in the culture is, is phenomenal advice. Uh, I could go on, capitalization was another big one. I think that's key for any business, but I think most entrepreneurs, wherever they fall into that, you know, that system, whether it's franchise or franchisee, small business owner, whatever, uh, they've always either been tempted to or been forced to move money from one part of their organization to another just to keep their their head above water and so hearing that uh, you know first off many of these brands went through that but also that they learned from it and understood that borrowing some money is which is the advice I give is borrow money rather than moving it around um, so anyhow I've got more but I was totally blown away I was totally engaged it was most, one of the best shows that we've done in a long time. And I personally want to thank these three lovely ladies for their advice, uh, their counsel, uh, the fact that they were willing to share their journey, uh, warts and all, with us. Because whether you're a potential franchisee, a franchisee, a franchisor, there's gold in those words for everybody out there. Absolutely. You learn the most from the struggle, I think. And the transparency, I think, is some of the most important things you can understand going into a new endeavor. So I, yeah, I agree. Thank you so much to all three of them. And we're going to have this episode on our website as usual. So if you joined us late, be sure to go to pillarsoffranchising.com so that you can get the full hour. It was well worth your time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.